Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, October 11th, 2015. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it was February 1986. I was a senior in high school on the big island of Hawaii. I suddenly found myself involved in a highly orchestrated network of top-secret clandestine communications. It began with an infiltration of the administration headquarters. I had a mole on the inside, if you will. I began receiving unsolicited correspondences subtly delivered to me by my homeroom teacher every morning. Like clockwork, I'd get it every day. Just a little note. Truth is, they were from Jody, who was working in the office as a student aide. And we'd just become dating, nothing too serious. Uh, But she would write me these little notes and then slide them in the teacher's packets that would go to my homeroom, right? I'm sure we were committing, like, mail fraud or something in the school system. I don't don't know how it works. But uh, she would, and then, so, like, my homeroom teacher would be like, from the principal, from the vice principal... Oh, a note for Jim White again, and when it will go over and hand it to me. Uh, Over time, our interest levels increased, and we expanded operations. We made it a daily occurrence. Uh, But instead of using the male school system, I just felt so guilty uh, using that, uh, we met face-to-face. So we would write a letter to each other the night before, and then we'd give it to each other just before school started. I lived 30 miles away from my high school. It took me an hour uh, on two different buses to get to school. So usually the bus is rolling in just as the bell is ringing for classes to start. So we would meet outside one of the classrooms, we'd pass notes back and forth, and then we'd wait to open them and read them till we got to our homeroom class. And then I would, you know, read them with all my friends looking over the shoulder, right? What did she say this time? Uh, over time, the, the short notes became longer letters, and I dare say that there was not a single day during that last semester of our senior year, once we started dating, that we didn't give each other a note. Because there's power in the written word. Can I get an amen? Amen. So the lesson for any of you single men out there, I highly recommend taking up letter writing as part of your romantic repertoire. In fact, if there are married men out there and you're not already writing notes, uh, I encourage you to write letters, little notes, leave them different places. Please write them to your own spouse. That really... Helps solidify the marriage and uh, goes a long way. Well, welcome to the fourth and final Sunday in our sermon series entitled The Grand Sweep, Rediscovering the Bible. And we've been journeying for this past month through the scriptures, not only getting acquainted with uh, stories that are in the Bible, but also looking at the bigger picture, the grand sweep, uh, themes that run from Genesis through Revelation. Today we're going to finish our journey. We've traveled through the Old Testament from uh, the early mothers and fathers of the faith to the prophets, priests, and kings. We've jumped feet first into the New Testament with Jesus and his disciples and the Gospels. And then we hit the book of Acts and how the early church got established and the message of Jesus started getting spread. And today we get to work on the letters, the letters of Paul. By the way, if you've missed any of the previous sermons on our our website, which it's not a new website, but it's a renewed website, uh, pumchurch.com, you can find all of the past sermons and you can download hard copies of the sermons if you want to have uh, just something to, to, to read as well. 
Today we're going to be doing a lot of letter reading as we keep up with the Apostle Paul and the letters that he wrote to the various churches that he helped start. And we'll discover in these letters they're filled with support and encouragement, with challenge and chastisement, with hope and inspiration. And then we'll finish with the amazingly complex book known as Revelation. And we'll see whether or not it truly is the end. Once again, in my preparation uh, this week, I relied quite heavily on J. Ellsworth Callis' book, A Hop, Skip, and a Jump Through the Bible. So the big picture on this series is an understanding that the Bible records God's love affair with the human race and how God is constantly wooing us into closer relationship with him. But being humans, we are often uh, missing the point and we're often not reciprocating the love that God has for us. You may remember that last week we were introduced to a young man named Saul. He was an up-and-coming Pharisee uh, who worked exceedingly hard to persecute the Christians, the early believers of Jesus. But while cruising down a pathway that he had chosen, Saul came face-to-face with the risen Christ, and his life was literally never the same again. God changed his name from Saul to Paul, and much of the book of Acts tells about Paul's amazing journey through the Mediterranean region as he was starting churches and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to all that would listen and even to those that didn't want anything to do with him. Paul helped start a lot of churches, uh, though really the churches he started were not so much like our churches today. They're more like house churches. So people would gather in each other's homes and they would They would eat a meal together, they would pray, they would sing, they would tell stories about Jesus. And then over time, they became more like gatherings like we have as well. Uh, Occasionally, uh, they would gather in a central large area, but for the most part, they were really smaller groups that met uh, independently. So from time to time, Paul would write letters to these house churches in certain cities, and then they would pass the letter around the different churches or the different uh, groups. And then these people started uh, copying them and handwriting them and then giving them to other Christian groups around the region, and soon these letters became spread all over the Mediterranean. What's especially revealing about these writings from Paul is that he doesn't sugarcoat anything. We get to see what's really going on in the lives of these faith communities and in Paul's relationship with them. Everything from sexual immorality to false doctrine, from jealousy in ministries to disagreement among the apostles, just a few of the issues. But what's interesting is that through all of this, for the most part, Paul wasn't trying to set out, okay, here's what we believe as a church. Here's the basic Christian doctrines. No, he was writing to each church, each house group, knowing that they had a particular issue they were wrestling with or something had come up in their fellowship. And so he was addressing how to be more like Jesus in their settings. But over time, the Christian church has come to see the wisdom that Paul had to those individual churches is wisdom that we can apply to our own lives as well. So, open your Bibles, uh, take out your phones if you've got the Bible app, or grab a pew Bible. Uh, from underneath the the bench in front of you, and we're going to finish our journey of the Grand Suite. We're going to begin in the book of Romans. If you're following in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 152 in the New Testament section. So they they start renumbering after the old. It's really about with only one-eighth of the book left. That's where you should find uh, the book of Romans. Romans is the first of the letters from the New Testament, probably because it's the longest of Paul's letters. 
It was written at the height of Paul's career, sometime between 54 and 58 AD. It conveys the, the richness and the maturity of Paul's experience with Jesus. Paul had been traveling around the Mediterranean region. He's been taking up a collection from many of the new churches. And most of them were, were Gentile churches, non-Jewish believers of Jesus. And he was taking up this collection to go back to the home church, the mother church in Jerusalem, the, the church that started it all. They were struggling financially. And so Paul received blessings from some of the other churches. And Paul was uh, writing this uh, letter to the, to, the, to the church in Rome when he was on his way to deliver that offering back in Jerusalem. He had hoped, uh, he said to the church in Rome, that after I go back to Jerusalem and and give them this gift, I hope to be able to come and see you and and then to to be able to travel to Spain and beyond. Well, here are some of the more weighty theological understandings that Paul shares in his book. Chapter 1, he mentioned that God's power and nature have already been revealed to everyone. Romans 1 verse 20 says, Ever since the creation of the world... His eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So Paul says, literally, there's no one who doesn't know about God. If you woke up and looked outside your window, you've seen God. That God is revealed in the, in the beauty of creation and nature all over the world. I love the, the, the um, sunsets and sunrises that we have here out in the Antelope Valley. Middle of the day, it's kind of hot, but I heard it's going to get cooler, right, eventually. There's beauty all around, whether you live in Hawaii or in the Antelope Valley. The challenge is, are you recognizing that it's revealing God's nature? Paul says, everyone, all in the world have come to know God through his creation. The problem is for us as humans that in Romans 3.23, Paul says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in chapter 5, verse 6 Paul does not leave us without hope, for he asserts that God proves his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't wait until we've got our whole lives figured out, until we get back on the right track, until we stop doing whatever it is we know we shouldn't be doing. No, Jesus came in the midst of our sinfulness to give us that grace, that freedom, that forgiveness. And then Paul says in chapter 7, you know... um, We still struggle, though. He says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. A little later, he says, The very good that I should do, I don't do. And that what I know I shouldn't do, I end up doing. What's going to happen to me? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ that gives me freedom. This has been the struggle that we as humans have had from the very beginning, right? From the story of Adam and Eve to our present day. We know what is right. We don't always find the way to do it. But Paul reminds us, once we've given our hearts to Jesus, in Romans 8, verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation. God isn't like waiting for us, the the, the divine sort of uh, uh, principle of our school, waiting for us to mess up, to give us detention or demerits or to, to slap our wrists or put us on timeout. No, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Verses 38 and 39 of chapter 8. For I am convinced, says Paul, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, not even our sin, can keep us away from God. There's so much more that can be said about the letter to the Romans. We don't have time to get into it all, but it's a wonderful book. 
The first, the books of First and Second Corinthians begin on page 165. They're fascinating studies on how to deal with the frustrating problems of a difficult local church. These two books are also the most revealing into, the, into Paul's own personality. This is one of the churches that Paul helped establish, and so it pained him to hear of the struggles that they were having as a church. The congregation was divided by their loyalties to past preachers and pastors and teachers. There had also been instances of sexual immorality within the membership. Lawsuits had broken out between people in the church. People started arguing with who's more spiritual than the other person. And they even had preferential treatment when it came to getting Holy Communion. Some people would come early and they would start eating a lot. And then there would be nothing left for the people later. It was amazing. And and a few were confused about the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. And this is all just in the first letter uh, in, in 1 Corinthians. So it's out of this chaos, though, with all these things that are happening in this very human local church that one of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture is written, 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. Paul wants the people to know that nothing is more important than Christian love. No spiritual gift that you have is more important than how you love one another. And he ends in verses 7 and 8 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Ultimately, in the time between the, letter, uh, the first letter to the Corinthians and the second letter, the relationship between Paul and the church deteriorated even more. Much of the second letter deals with this crisis of confidence between the apostle and the community. And because so much of 2 Corinthians is a response to the words and feelings of others, often opponents, and, and they're not recorded in the first letter, we don't really know all that's been said, so sometimes it's hard to follow Paul's argument. But one cannot help but sense the deep passion and love that Paul has for that church. Not just that church, but for all the churches he's helped establish. And despite the problems they're having, at the very end, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1, Paul says this. Since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. Because if you've ever been in any church, you know there is no perfect church. As good as some of the, I'm sure this is an amazing church as I come to know more and more about it, but even we are not perfect. In the midst of our imperfection, we do not lose heart because we are engaged in ministry and God is with us. The letter of Paul to the Galatians is a crucial one. Galatians begins on page 187. Written perhaps around 55 A.D., uh, it gives many autobiographical details of the apostle's earlier life and his evangelism. And, and uh, he may have written this while he was on his third journey, spreading the news around the Mediterranean. Well, the crux of this letter centers around the issue that false believers, as Paul calls them, have come to the house churches in Galatia. And they've insisted that the Gentile believers, those that didn't grow up in the Jewish faith and came to see Jesus as Lord, they they just came, all they know was Jesus, they insisted that they also go back and observe the laws of the Old Testament, including circumcision. Not many adult males that want to sign up for intentional adult circumcision, right? It's just not that popular. And they're saying, no, you have to go through these and other things in order to become 
uh, true Christians. Well, Paul rejects this idea. And you know that Paul was a, an avid Pharisee before his conversion, and he was all about keeping the laws. He said, no, the only thing that we know is that Christ was crucified and resurrected, and that is enough. That's all we need for faith. He says in Galatians 2.21, For if justification or or right relationship with God comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. It's not about following the rules. It's about believing in Jesus. And in the end, Paul boasts, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Paul's letter to the Ephesians begins on page 191 in our Pew Bibles and Paul is writing to help a new faith community recognize that both Jews and Gentile believers share equally in God's blessings. The gift of grace is available to all. In, verse, in chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's a gift from God. So all you've got to do is believe, and that's a gift that God has given. You don't earn it. The second part of the book is an appeal to the church to maintain that new unity they have as as Jews and Gentiles living together and to press on to complete maturity by rejecting the former lifestyles. Before you came to know the Lord, the activities and the practices you're engaged in, yeah, let go of that and instead display the Christian values of truth and love, forgiveness and sexual purity. The book of Philippians found on page 196 was written to the first church founded by Paul on European soil. Paul seems to have been very close to to the group in Philippi. And uh, the, the main theme of this letter is faith admits opposition. To keep on keeping on. And, and the Philippian church, they were facing some, uh, facing even death because of their faith. Paul cites Jesus as the example. Chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Jesus, Paul says, understands what it's like to struggle and to go through hardship. And it's precisely his power in our lives that help us get through whatever it is That we may be facing. What's really powerful to know about uh, the letter to the Philippians is that Paul wrote this while he was in prison. He himself was in prison for the gospel. He was going through some very difficult times. He didn't know if he would even make it out of this jail ever. And yet he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about the church that's going through difficult times and saying, hang in there. God is with you. Do not give up. And then he says, oh, and if you're worried about me, don't worry about me. Because I'm in here, more people have come to know about Jesus than if I would have been out moving around. It's amazing what God can do. Paul's letter to the Colossians begins on page 199. This is deeply theological. It centers on the person of Jesus Christ. And not only is Jesus lifted up in Colossians, but Paul tells the church that their lives have been forever transformed because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Beginning at chapter 3, verse 1. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are a new person, Paul says. And then in the rest of the chapter, he lays out how that looks, 
how that should look for us Christians as we live out that, that new resurrection that we have with Christ. First and Second Thessalonians are the next letters of Paul's in the New Testament, beginning of page 203. Many regard First Thessalonians as the oldest, the earliest of Paul's uh, letters, possibly written while he was in Corinth. Uh, helping establish the Corinthian community around 50 A.D. So this, was the, this then is the oldest book in the, in the New Testament, the earliest. The, the Gospels didn't get written until later. Paul wrote these letters to believers in Thessalonica that are dealing with a, a number of problems and challenges, and he was especially trying to address the issue about Jesus' second coming, right? We know Jesus is coming back. They believed he was coming back in their lifetime. And so they, it didn't matter about, you know, property and owning things and all that. They just gave things away, and they were just waiting for Jesus to come. And yet as the years passed, they were wondering, where is he? Why is it not happening? Paul encourages them to keep the faith and encourage one another despite this delay by Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 16 to 18, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Not that everything that happens in life is God's will, but God's will is that you rejoice in all things. That God can turn anything that happens into something good. Next come First and Second Timothy and Titus, beginning on page 207. Though often credited to him, these three books were most likely not written by Paul. They could have been written by someone who was a, a disciple of Paul and that knew his, his way of thinking, uh, but the style of writing is very different than uh, Paul's other letters. This might be what we, we call the beginning of letters to the next generation of Christians. And it's during this time frame that the Christian church was moving from being just a collection of house churches to a larger organization that was meeting more like we meet each week here. And so the author uh, addresses these kinds of organizational and leadership issues, as well as opposing false teachings that crop up. So one quick passage to lift up before we move on is, is reminding us why we're doing this study in the first place. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say this. All scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. So, Paul, so, so the writer here says, it's, it's not just enough to know the Bible. We're called to read scripture so our lives will be different. So that we'll live out what it is that we're reading. The more time we spend in God's word, the more our lives will gravitate towards good works. Not because we have to, because it's a reflection of how much God has already done for us. Philemon is a great little book. It's only one chapter in length, found on page 215. Dr. Callis says it's a wonderful example of how to write a gracious letter. You see, in this, the Apostle Paul is writing to his friend Philemon to ask him to forgive Philemon's slave, a man named Onesimus. Onesimus has run away. He's a runaway slave. He may have even taken some money or property or something of value from Philemon. Well, he ran to Paul, and then in hanging out with Paul, realized, you know, I need to change and give my life to Jesus. And he became a Christian. He started helping Paul in Paul's ministry. And so now Paul writes back to Philemon to say, I'm sending him back to you. Verses 15 and 16. Perhaps, Paul says, this is the reason that he was separated from you for a while. 
so that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. This is another example of God using all things to work for good. Now, I'll quickly move through the last of the remaining letters. Hebrews begins on 2.18. It's the only letter, letter other than 1 John, which the author is not named. And it's also not addressed to a spe- specific faith community. One of the key themes of Hebrews is encouraging the new believers to keep the faith. Chapter 11 is often referred to as the Hall of Faith. The author leads us through the grand sweep of some of the characters throughout the Bible that we've been talking about in the last three weeks. Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, just to name a few. And in verse 39 of chapter 11, the author says this. Yet all of these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better, so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Chapter 12, so let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus as our pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to say is that we, you and I, are now part of the plot. We're part of the grand sweep of God's love and redemption for humankind. It's gone through the people of faith, and now it's our chance to live it out. James on 2.28 is a great book to follow on the heels of Hebrews. It says that uh, as powerful as faith is, if your life doesn't reflect that by the, the actions that you do, then it means nothing. Faith without works is dead. Not because we have to do works, that God's expecting us to do works. No, because we love God and because we believe, then it changes how we live our lives. First and Second Peter begin on page 232, and 1 Peter is addressed to the exiles of the dispersion, reminding us that the early Christian community was constantly on the move, facing persecution after persecution. They couldn't stay in one place too long. They had to keep moving. And that Jesus would be with them through all of this. First, second, and third John begin on page 238. The first two letters, first and second John, tackle the Gnostic heresy. G-N-O-S-T-I-C. That is your jeopardy word of the day. Gnostic. It means knowing. The Gnostics believed that Jesus wasn't human at all. That he was just God, not human. So when he suffered and died, he didn't really suffer and die. It just looked like he suffered and died. But he came to bring a secret word. So if you know the secret word, then you're on the in club like the rest of them. Well, the early church said, no, no, Jesus, it doesn't make any sense in terms of math, but he was 100% God and 100% human. And that he knows what we have been through. And so they rejected that Gnostic heresy. Third John is a letter addressed to a specific individual, and it provides a glimpse into the early Christian mission, especially around the issue of hospitality. What did it mean to open your homes and your life to people that were coming through? Jude is one of the last letters. It is the last letter. It begins on page 243, and its purpose is to encourage folks to contend for the faith, the faith that has been passed down from those who have gone before. And then we get to the end, the very last book of the Bible itself, Revelation, beginning on page 245 in your, in your pew Bibles. Now, parts of this may have been written before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, but the Oxford Study Bible tells us that it's probable that the author, whose name was John, but was not John the Apostle, 
who hung out with Jesus, probably wrote this at the end of the reign of the Roman emperor Domitian. So between 81 and 96 AD, towards the end of the first century. It was at this time that Domitian began to make demands that his subjects, anyone under the authority of the Roman Empire, call him Lord and God and bow down to worship his image. Refusing to do so, many Christians were put to death. Others, like John, were exiled and all Christians were threatened. One of the reasons that the author uses such mysterious figures and extraordinary metaphors was to prevent the, uh, the Roman police from recognizing that this book is about them, right? This is the, the infamous, uh, the names have been changed to protect the innocent, right? You can't go talking about the government in power and bad-mouthing them and expect to live. So everything has cryptic messages. But... The author is reminding the the believers that through it all, through all this hardship and persecution, despite the worst that the Roman Empire could do, God reigns supreme. And Christ, who died and is alive forevermore, has the power to overcome all evil. Now, all of the books of the New Testament have ties with the Hebrew Scriptures, but none more so than the book of Revelation. There are 404 verses in Revelation, 278 of them refer to one or more uh, allusions in the Old Testament. 278 out of 404 verses. And since the language of Revelation is so dominantly symbolical, Dr. Or, yeah, symbolical, Dr. Callis urges us not to look for too many specific examples or connections or applications. I've heard many a sermon say, well, because this happened this last week in this country, that proves that this verse in Revelation is coming to pass. I don't think it's as easy as that. There's so much that we don't know. Dr. Callis urges us to read, read Revelation the way we listen to classical music. Just take it all in and enjoy the total effect without trying to pick out, really, was the piccolo right on tune in that one little, or did they come in the right spot? No, just kind of hear the whole thing and allow it to wash over you. You'll find numbers all throughout the book of Revelation. Uh, seven occurs frequently, seven churches, seven lampstands, seven seals, seven angels with trumpets. Seven is the biblical number for perfection or completeness. You'll find 12, 12 Gates in the holy city, 12 foundations, 12 kinds of fruit on the tree of life. 12 represents the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples. There are 24 elders before the throne of God, adding together the 12 tribes and the 12 disciples. And then there are 144 servants of God marked with God's seal. This is ultimate completion because it's 12 times 12. Worship is also a dominant theme in this book, and we humans are at our best when we're worshiping the Lord, when we're focusing on God in the spirit of gratitude and love, and we're taken away from focusing on ourselves. The culmination of this amazing book does three things. One, Satan, or the personification of all evil, is defeated and forever doomed. The dead are brought to judgment, and the new heaven and the new earth are established. Now, I've mentioned throughout the series that the Bible is a record of God's love affair with humankind despite the times that we as a human race rebel against that love. One of the last images you see in the book of Revelation is this, a tree. We began the series in the Garden of Eden with a tree that got Adam and Eve into trouble, and now it comes back full circle. The tree is what brings us life. 
Revelation 22, 1 and 2 says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river is the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. I love that last line, for the healing of the nations. It's not just for the Hebrew people. It's not just for the followers of Jesus. No, it's for everyone. God desires healing and reconciliation for all people. And once again, the sweep of God uh, expanding our borders of who's out and who's in, God is always pushing for more inclusivity and welcome than we are. Shauna Nyquist, in her book, Bittersweet, writes this. The biggest, most beautiful story in the world deserves better than to be told by the same voices over and over again. I think it's time for each of us to do what we can to speak the extraordinary story of God into life in our own ways, whoever we are, not defined by degree, gender, race, or format. The big story really is actually being told through our little stories. And by sharing our lives, not just our sermons, we're telling God's story in as reverent and divine ways as it has ever been told. So the book of Revelation ends, but the grand sweep continues because we carry on that story. One of the ways that we better live into our stories is by spending time with the Master. And each week during this Grand Sweep series, I've been introducing you a little bit more to the art of Scripture journaling. I've given you practice sheets and a few Scriptures to read on your own. Last Sunday, we even had a chance during the service to go through uh, Scripture journaling to get a sense of what it's like. And we may come back to this every so often. Today, we're encouraging you to make Scripture journaling a part of your regular devotional life. And we're going to give you the tools you'll need to make it happen. Now, in your bulletins today, or you should have been handed when you came in, a laminated bookmark. This is a limited edition. We've only printed 200. We're not going to make any more. Uh, and so just in the fact that you came today, you get a souvenir to take home. It's not quite as exciting as a Jesus bobblehead, but, you know, hopefully it'll be a wonderful companion nonetheless. And the bookmark has all the basis of what you'll need for scripture journaling, and it'll fit in your Bibles, uh, keep track of where you are. And then when you leave today, if you think that this scripture journaling, uh, uh, reading the Bible devotionally, of listening for a word uh, from scriptures to apply to your own life, if you think that's something you'd like to do, then we're going to give you one of these. And this is a scripture journal starter booklet. You'll find it not in the narthex, but outside, once you leave the building and any of the exits, uh, there'll be a basket and you can take one with you. It tells exactly what you need and reminds you of the SOAP meaning. It has a sample journal entry, including a table of contents, a sample, how to, how to set up your table of contents. Because sometimes, you, you, as you're journaling, you, you get a word that really fits your life today. But other times, eh, it's just something kind of interesting. And then two, three, four, five weeks, months down the road, you're going to be in a place where God's going to want you to go back and reread that. And so instead of flipping through every page, oh, you go back to the table of contents. Where was that thing that I was writing about, about school? And then you can find it and, and be able to remember what it is God's wanting to say to you. And then finally, there's a reading plan in the booklet. Now, a quick word about the reading plan. For starters, if you read every day, you'll get through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice in a year. 
which is great. But the goal is not to get through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice during the year. The goal is to hear a word from God. So if you're like me, I don't get to, I don't scripture journal every day. I try to, but I don't make it every day. And sometimes life gets going, and then I find five, six, seven, eight days since I scripture journaled. And then I think, oh, man, now I've got 52 chapters to cut. No, 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 no. I give you permission. You do not have to catch up on your reading. Whatever day you have a chance to read, you just read the scripture for that day and hear a word for God. Now, you may have no clue what's happening because you missed the last 14 days. That's okay. You don't journal on what you don't know or don't understand. You journal on whatever it is you do understand. I'm also going to give you a chance to journal along with me this week, if you'd like to. Three mornings, I'll be at three different places doing my journaling. Tomorrow, I'll be at Starbucks on Rancho Visto Drive. Uh, At 6 a.m., for those that have to get up early and go down below, uh, hopefully you can swing in and say hi. Um, Tuesday, I'll be at Panera Bread right down the street here on 10th. And then Thursday, I'll go over to the east side to Tom's Family Restaurant at 8.30 a.m. All of the places are written on the back of your bulletins with the exact addresses. So if you decide to come, here's what you can expect. First, expect to buy your own breakfast. I will not be paying for yours. I may ask for a bite, though, if it looks really good. Or or just buy coffee or whatever. Uh, And then bring your Bible and bring your journal and bring your starter book. And what's going to happen is we'll sit down and we'll all read and journal on our own. And then after about 20, 25 minutes or so, we'll go around and say, Hey, uh, Michelle, what did you write about? And then she'll share. And then Anita will share. And then I'll share. And we'll find that some of us may have picked the same thing. And even if we pick the same verse, it's probably gone in different directions. Or, Or someone may find something out of something that I totally didn't understand. That's kind of the fun of scripture journaling. Everyone can do it on their own. And so if you come uh, one time this week or two or three times with me, it'll help you with the practice. But even if nobody comes to a single place, I'll still have a very good breakfast and do my scripture journaling. At least I'll get it done three times this week, right? And, and so don't feel guilty. Don't come because you're worried Pastor Jim's going to be there all by himself. Come if your heart is drawn towards it and if you'd like to have some practice in the journaling. So to wrap up this series... I'm going to summarize the grand sweep. This is from an email. Maybe you received this. I got it many years ago. Uh, The entire Bible summarized in 50 words. Here we go. God made, Adam bit, Noah arced, Abraham split. Joseph ruled, Jacob fooled. Bush talked, Moses balked. Pharaoh plagued, people walked. Sea divided, tablets guided, promise landed. Saul freaked, David peaked, prophets mourned, Jesus born. God walked, love talked, anger crucified, hope died, love rose, spirit flamed, word spread, God remained. And so may the story continue to become our story, not only as we read, but we live out the grand sweep of the Holy Scriptures. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.